Good morning, church. I want to start today off with asking you a question. That question is, have you ever felt dry? Not in just a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Have you ever felt dry? Take a moment to think about that question. Have you ever felt like God was far away from you in that moment? Have you ever felt like you were just wandering through an unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory where it's hard to find peace and comfort? I think if we're all honest, we have experienced this at least once in our lives. Many of you have experienced spiritual dryness in a previous season. But you may look around now and you may feel like you're in that same spot again. Today our text will be in the book of Psalms, chapter 63. Here we find King David wandering through the wilderness of Judea on the run from hostile enemy forces who are seeking to destroy him. And they are seeking to take the throne of Israel. Although we aren't sure at what point in history this is taking place, whether David is running from Saul or being pursued by his own son Absalom, what we do know is this. This is a very hot, a very dry place that David is in. He's in a place of despair, and there is no peace and comfort of where he is at. Positioned southwest of Jerusalem, the wilderness of Judea, is described as a very dry and weary land with deep ravines, steep rocky grades, and scarce opportunity for vegetation. This wilderness is a bleak and inhospitable land that David is seeking refuge in. Psalm 63 opens as if it were a lament, seeking God in times of trouble. But as we will see today, David is not lamenting, but is hopefully looking forward to the day when he is back in the presence of God. Let's read Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So today we will see three expressions of David's heart while he was in the wilderness. 
Number one is the king's longing. Number two, the king's satisfaction. Number three, the king's vindication. Looking at number one, the king's longing, looking at verses one through three. David finds himself in a bad place. A very dry and desolate desert where there is hardly any shade and no apparent source of water. It would be natural for David to be in despair and to fear for his life in these moments. It would seem obvious for him to be concerned with food and water, shelter, normal things that we as humans would be concerned with. But as we read, David makes no request of God at all, but opens up with the first line saying, God, you are my God. And earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Here David offers a deep expression of his need for God. There is no doubt that David's circumstances would cause great distress. But David is not as concerned with his environment as he is with the fact that in this moment he is far from God. Yes, the desert is a landscape that is hard to contend with and can be deadly. Yet to David, this dry and weary land was nothing compared to the dryness that he feels in his soul. He was desperate to quench his soul with the presence of God. He longs to be back in the sanctuary in corporate worship with God's people in Jerusalem. He wants to sing. He wants to dance. He wants to raise his hands in heartfelt Worship. But here in this desert, in this dry land, he feels so far away from God. But David then makes this statement. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now it's obvious at this moment that David can't actually see the sanctuary from where he's at in the wilderness. So what does David mean? David is recalling past times of being in the temple and worshiping God and raising his hands and praising with the people of Israel. But this is not just a simple reminiscing of good times. No, here David is beholding the glory of God. And he uses the word behold, which means to observe something or someone that is truly impressive or indescribable. Something that makes you say, wow, what is that? That is amazing. For David, it is God's past love. It is all the goodness that God has already shown to him. His faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness that causes this expression of wonder and amazement in David's heart. And here we can see already something starting to build up in David. He was feeling isolated. And he is desperate to be near God. But now he is recalling the past faithfulness of God. Looking at all the times that God has already been good to him. And this causes him to look with hope to the future goodness of God. David is expressing his faith in God's continued faithfulness. And when David recalls God's goodness, he begins to praise. Verse 3, Because of your steadfast love, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
David now begins to describe God's love as steadfast, meaning he sees God's love as a firm and un unwavering love with no variation. And the word steadfast is used to describe God's love many times in Scripture. Psalms 106.1 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. God's love will endure forever. There is no end. There is no limit to this love. And David is looking upon that, and that is causing him to praise. And from here, we see a huge change in David's mood. David has gone from desperation to joyfully praising and singing about the unwavering love of God. Here, David is also recalling the covenant that God has made with him back in 2 Samuel 7, verse 15, which says, But my steadfast love will not depart from, from him. God binds himself via covenant to love David. But not just a love towards David, but also a love towards his chosen people, Israel. And God cannot and He will not go against His own word. God is bound to love us, love David. And this gives David great confidence in God's love and great confidence in his faithfulness to that covenant. Which again leads David to praise God. So here we see a process in David's thoughts. First, we see his desire or his longing to be near God in the temple. David would rather be restored to the presence of God than find food or water. Second, because his longing or his desire to be with God again is so strong, he begins to recall, he begins to meditate on the past times that he was, already, that he was there with God in his presence in the temple. David is remembering how he would sing and how he would dance and worship God with all of his heart. Third, when David remembered the goodness of God, he began to praise. He began to praise God. Right here in the desert, far away from everyone and everything he's ever loved and knew, David is finding joy. And I pray that we can all have this same attitude when we are walking through these dry times in our lives when we feel isolated, when we feel far from God, may we see the same pattern that David models. Longing to feel God's presence again, looking back at his past faithfulness, and then praising him for what he has already done, and hopefully looking forward to God's future faithfulness. This will help us to commit to beholding God's love, to look at his love and say, wow, even in the dry and desperate times in our lives, God is still faithful. And what do we hope to ultimately find in our longings? Satisfaction. When we feel empty, we want to be satisfied. This brings us to our second point, the king's satisfaction. Looking at verses 4 through 8. David continues on praising in verse 4. He says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. 
At this point, David isn't just singing, but he is now lifting his hands in an expression of praise and directing his prayers directly to God. David is making a personal outpouring of his affection towards God. David says that for the rest of his life, he will continue to praise God in this way, openly and publicly. Again, David is in a life and death situation here in the desert. And yet, he doesn't seem to be fretting. He's singing. What could be so amazing and so powerful that David would forgo his own needs and wants? It's God himself being in the presence of God. Not just an experience of God, but an all-satisfying joy that is found only in knowing God. Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Here David is equating the experience of knowing God's love with eating the fat and rich food of a feast. So imagine for a moment, you're about to eat the best meal of your life. Just think in your head, what would be your best meal? What, like, the end all be all, if it was, this was your last day on earth, what would be the best meal to put in your mouth? For me, wife already knows this, it's going to be a ribeye steak. You know, inch thick, fat and juicy. Little on each side, just medium rare. Salt, pepper, garlic. We don't even need sides. Just give me the steak. <laughs> See, that meal is satisfying to me. Give me more of that. Yet here David says that God's love is more satisfying than even that meal. Even the best meal that you can put in your mouth. God's love, being in God's presence, is more satisfying than that. David goes on to reiterate this point of satisfaction in verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. Here we see a, a vulnerability of David while in his bed. See, this is a very dangerous time for him. He has enemies looking and seeking to destroy him. It would be very hard to actually feel enough peace and comfort to get restful sleep in a situation like this. And David feels that here in these sleepless nights. Yet even when he is distraught and sleep has escaped him, David continues to focus his mind. David continues to focus his mind on God and not on his circumstances. Even in the watches of the night, the early hours of the morning, when his camp is most vulnerable to attack, David is meditating on God's love. Again, we see David prioritize the satisfaction of being with God, of experiencing God's love over sleep, over comfort, over security, over food, over water. Why? What would make David feel this way? Verse 7. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Here David uses the imagery of a bird to convey the level of protection that God had over David. When baby chicks feel threatened, they often run to their mother for protection. 
And she will protect her young by spreading her wings out over her chicks, keeping them close to her, shielding them from the outside. This is the level of security that David feels with God. It's not that danger will not come, and it's not that he is not threatened in this moment, but his confidence is in the protection that being with God provides. David recognizes that God was with him in the past and is still with him, and this brings David great joy and great confidence in who God is. David continues the idea of security in verse 8. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. So David uses the word cling here, which means a tight bonding. Imagine two objects that are fused or glued together. You could not rip those objects apart. And this is the image that David is conveying here, that nothing can separate him from the love of God. David has confidence that nothing can separate him from God, and it is God's hand that is upholding that bond. It's not David's effort. It's God. Here David is beaming with supreme confidence because he believes that no matter how bad his circumstances are, it is God who is holding him in place. Now it's not easy or natural for us as humans to feel this way, especially towards hard circumstances. Many times when not in ideal situations, we tend to complain, we tend to despair. See, just last week, um, we had a storm blowing through our side of town. And uh, it was a pretty violent storm, so bad that it caused the power to go out for several hours. And when you have three kids, this becomes a problem real quick. Usually, the youngest one starts screaming, and he continues to scream until the power comes back on. And while I'm trying to calm him down, I'm being bombarded by our two oldest with these questions here. Why does Netflix not work? Will the toilet flush if there's no power? Dad, when will the power come back on? And it never fails the expression of, we're bored. I can tell you in that moment, there's not much praising coming, praising and singing of the goodness of God coming from the Whitfield residence. But it is in these moments where our hearts are exposed. Like, why couldn't we see the goodness of God in those moments? Even though the power is out, our home is still intact. We have our lives. And on average, the power won't be out for more than a few hours. So why do we complain? And what makes David praise God in these circumstances? The answer is found in where we find our satisfaction. David did not look for satisfaction in his immediate circumstances, but he found satisfaction in looking to God and trusting in Him to sustain him in the desert. Number three, the king's vindication, looking at verses 9 through 11. Again, let us not forget who David is. He is the rightful king of Israel who has been displaced and is being hunted down by his enemies. If they catch David, they will kill him and overtake the throne of Israel. 
Yet even in the face of death by his enemies, David does not despair, but makes this confident declaration in verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. David does not fear the pursuit of enemies because God who protects him will destroy the wicked. They will be brought down to the earth and they will be no more. Again, David pushes this a bit further with verse 10. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. These evil men who are hostile to the house of David and the purposes of God will be given over to their wicked and violent ways. You see, they have lived by the sword and they will die by the sword. And here the imagery of battle is being painted by David as he is looking forward to the day where his enemies are destroyed. And in those times, battles would take place in large open areas such as fields. And at the end of the battle, it was common practice for the victor to leave the bodies of their dead lying in the field as trophies of their victory. And as you can imagine, that's a gruesome sight. But even worse, is what, even worse than that is what would happen to the bodies in the days to come. They would become food for the wild animals, such as the jackals mentioned in our verse. Now, if you aren't sure what a jackal is, it's essentially a wild dog closely related to a coyote. And jackals were known as scavengers roaming the landscape in search of scraps to eat. They were considered unclean animals because of their habits and were commonly used as a symbol of desolation. Here, David is equating them to the desolation of the wicked. That God will enact His righteous judgment and destroy the wicked. And then they will be left to the jackals. They have no legacy. They have no continuation. They are food for the jackals. This is what happens to the enemies of David. Verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by Him shall exult, for the mouths of liars shall be stopped. Again, David is continuing his confident assertion that God will surely protect him from his enemies. But now King David is rejoicing in the destruction of his enemies as well. David is not just praising God for his love and faithfulness. He is praising God for justice in destroying those who had rebelled against David's kingship. And so let's pause and look at this from a historical perspective. Referring back to the covenant in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David and promises that a king from the lineage of David will forever sit on the throne of Israel. This is significant because it establishes the fulfillment of a promised Messiah who will come from the lineage of David. This is why David is rejoicing. He remembers this promise that God made. David knows that God will restore him to the throne once again. And this must happen so that the Messiah, the promised one, can come. So in confidence, David rejoices. And then he encourages the rest of Israel to place their confidence in David's kingship because of God's promises. Again, he says, All who swear by Him shall exult. 
to swear by someone is to pledge your allegiance or your loyalty to that person or to that entity. David is calling to the people of Israel to pledge their loyalty to his kingship. Because if they do, they will be triumphant over their enemies. David knows in this situation that either he dies and the wicked win, or David wins and the wicked are destroyed. All who support and follow David will be victorious because of God's faithfulness. But then David serves a warning for those who do not swear their loyalties to him. He says, For the mouths of liars shall be stopped. And so there were two groups of Israelites in this psalm. Those who followed David and placed their trust in God, and those who rebelled against both. David implies that those who rebel are liars. They want to claim victory over David, but ultimately their desire is to thwart the purposes of God. But David says that their mouths will be shut or stopped through God's righteous judgment. And see, David felt full assurance that God would vindicate him and restore him to the throne once again. Even though at this point, David was in the desert, far from where he longed to be. And when we zoom back out and we look at the whole picture of what David had experienced at this point, the truth revealed is this, that our greatest joy is found in God even in the wilderness. Yeah, it's truly amazing that David was able to keep his faith even in the driest and the most desolate times in his life. But if we just simply seek to take David's experience and try to apply it to our life, I think we'll miss the point of this psalm. See, it would be burdensome for us to try to imitate David because we're not God's chosen king of Israel. We also know that David wasn't the perfect one. And eventually David does die and he's buried. He's in the, he goes in the ground just like the rest of us will. But in David's desire, in David's delight, in his joy, and in his assurance, we see a foreshadowing revealed. David is pointing the way to a greater desire, a greater delight, a greater joy, and an even greater assurance that is found in Christ. See, Jesus longed for God, God the Father above all else. Every moment of his life, he longed for fellowship with the Father, spending every moment he could in prayer to the Father. He, too, felt the pain of living in a desert world, the dryness. He felt the thirst for the living God. He felt this in the desert literally for his temptations and metaphorically for all of his life. He entered fully into the experience that we see David foreshadow here. Jesus found satisfaction in God above all else. He loved the covenant promises of his Father, and the covenant love of his Father was better to him than all the kingdoms and all the power and all the glory in the world. The delight that David found in the tabernacle, Jesus embodied in himself. Jesus rejoiced fully in God. Even when, when rejected or misunderstood, Jesus, full of joy and through the Holy Spirit, could say, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. 
and Jesus was sure of his final vindication. Facing his accusers, he said that the time would come when you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So the question still begs today, how can you and I sing Psalm 63? Well, the reality is, is there's nothing within us that enables us to truly sing the psalm. Because left to our own devices, we are the rebellious ones trying to overthrow the kingdom. We are all desperate sinners and we, can poss we cannot possibly sing the psalm because we do not naturally long for God's presence. We do not find our ultimate satisfaction in God. And because of our sin, the only vindication we will experience is God's righteous judgment. We need someone else to sing the psalm for us. And this is exactly what Christ did. He sang it for us, and as a result of His desire, of His delight, and of His joy, and His assurance, we too can find our greatest joy in God, even as we walk through the wilderness of this life. And so here are some applications for when we feel spiritually dry. What should we do when we feel spiritually dry? We start by looking back on the past faithfulness of God. Looking back on the past faithfulness of God in your life and know that He is still near to you. When you have been rejected, if you have been despised or betrayed, remember His steadfast love and how it has no limits or ends and that He will not grow faint or weary in loving you and that in Christ God has accepted you as his own. And when everything seems to be crashing down, remember the shadow of his wings, his protection on you from the evil of this world, and his hand upholds you, and there is nothing in this life that can separate you from his love. So when you are struggling to believe, and you are tempted to not trust in God's plan, remember that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the end. Look to Christ and know that He has desired all these things for you. And to quote John Calvin as we close, Our happiness and glory depend entirely on Christ. He leads us in desire for the Father. He leads us in delight in the Father, and He leads us to joy in the Father. Ultimately, He leads us to confidence in the final victory. This is His prayer, and it becomes ours in Him. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to You now, and God, we're thankful for Your Word today. Father, thankful for the experience of David. Walking through a dry and weary land, Father, we so oftentimes relate to that. But we're thankful for the one that David pointed to, ultimately. Thankful that Christ walked the desert. Thankful that He resisted temptation. Thankful that He endured the cross. Because He found His ultimate satisfaction, satisfaction in You, God. In doing Your will. And He did that for us. 
And so today in Him we have joy in the desert. We have victory over sin because of Christ. And Father, we just pray that You would help us to remember that whether we are walking in dry times now or we're headed towards them, Father, we pray that You help us to look to Christ for all that we need. We love You and we thank You. Amen.